Welcome to Camera Ready and Able, the podcast that explores the intersection of media change and personal growth. I'm your host, Barbara Barna Abel, and my calling is to help you tap into your superpowers to thrive on camera and in life, and to make an impact on the world. This episode is brought to you by the word industrious, which means diligent and hardworking, but also implies a habitual devotion to the work, which in the Camera Ready and Able universe is one of the keys to success. Here to discuss is TV host, narrator, and media personality, Matthew Hoffman, who for three seasons and 125 broadcast episodes was the beloved fan favorite, adored by critics too, the official voice narrator and co-writer of Love Island USA on CBS and Netflix. And Matthew is also a special correspondent for Extra, is the host of Sit Down with the Stars for Regal Cinemas and his distinctive voice can be heard as the co-creator, producer, and host of Previously On, the official Love Island USA podcast, and Love Notes, a live weekly radio show for Amazon AMP. And Matthew is an investor in theatrical productions such as the national tour of Magic Mike Live and the Broadway productions of Life of Pi, Merrily We Roll Along with Daniel Radcliffe, and Prima Fasci starring Jody Comer, to name just a few. What don't you do, Matthew Hoffman? <laughs> is the show over? Do we have any time? I feel so bad you had to read all of that. <laughs> I are you kidding. I'm so impressed because I've known you forever. And it's this Ever. is why I'm so excited to have you here. So first of all, officially welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I am, so, as I've told you in every email uh, correspondence <laughs> that we have, I am so flattered uh, to be here. You, all of your listeners know this, but for me, like you, you are just such a, a uh, uh, positive, legendary uh, um, uh, fixture in this business. And I remember, <laughs> I was telling you a bit off of off camera, like I remember the first time I met with you at your office in Brooklyn, like literally over a decade ago. And I was like, I've made it. I met Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say for everyone listening, your bangs are just as good uh, in person now virtually as they are in every photo. So good for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, oh, okay. Well, first of all, you made my day because you know the bangs set the tone for everything, right? If it's a good bang day, it's a good day. Oh, but good um, let's talk about you because seriously, we—I mean, you were just a pup the first time I met you in my office, and I don't know who connected us, but you came in, and the one thing I'll say though, you had the same spark, energy that—that that something, something oh. that you have today. And so the thrill for me is to watch how uh, you've developed and grown, which gets me into, I want to find out why you chose industrious as your word, but I can tell you that um, you've done the work and here you are and you have credits for days that are mighty Gosh. impressive. So you're, I mean, but you're living proof is stick with it, do it, be strategic, all of it. But so with all that, why did you choose industrious as your word? Um, I chose it for two reasons. One, I am industrious to a fault. Uh, <laughs> I, I wish I did not care as much as I do about work. Um, not the getting of the work, that's a whole different conversation, but the actual task of it. Um, I, uh, I treat everything as if it is, you know, it's going to be on a, a 10 o'clock time slot. Like I, I just always, no, there was no, in my non-existent career, there has never been a job or a gig or a moment uh, or an opportunity or an up at bat that I did not treat as if it was the one, not one. Um, and um, I think that's really important because I think a lot of people, um, the other reason why I chose it is a lot of people, I think they get a gig and like they're smooth sailing. No, 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 no. You have to work even harder <laughs> once you get the gig 
um, than if it's been handed to you or if you won it in an audition or if you were put in touch by a friend of a friend of a friend, you know, you have to, there's always someone in the wings, but also too, it's like there's pride of work. I have so much pride in the work that I do and, and you know, Love Island specifically, I mean, not one line of that show did not go to air that I did not approve vocally or did not cut a breath out of or not say, hey, I want to do that again because my tea was weird, you know, like, so every single thing that I put out there um, comes from an industrious uh, uh, background, which I wish I didn't have to work that hard. I have friends who just wing it and they, they're amazing. And I am so always envious of that quality. Um, but yeah, it was never, it was never for me. It was always just a tremendous, absurd, embarrassing uh, work ethic uh, that has uh, hopefully served me well, but I also don't know how to do anything other than that. Um, and, and the flip side of, of industrious too for me is I have tried to make and assemble uh, a measly cake or tart out of the crumbs that I have picked up since the days that we've met, right? So it's like no job has ever been too small for me and I've always turned that job into something else or used that job to get me somewhere else that I wanted to be. So I always just treated every opportunity or up at bat as the next thing or do that thing really well and let it speak for itself. Okay, I just think all of that's incredibly beautiful. Oh. Were you raised with this? Um, I have parents who, yeah, my dad is, my dad is very much cross every T dot every I, uh, for sure. But I'm the first and last, hopefully, <laughs> for everyone else's sake, uh, generation of, of entertainment. Like I was a theater kid growing up in, in New York. Um, I started when I was like 15, 16. I think my first show was uh, A Christmas Carol at Madison Square Garden. Jesse Eisenberg was my understudy, you know? And like, I learned, I learned just really early on that it was always about craft and like you know we're in a game now where it's all about attention right but i say industrious because those people who get the attention and then you know they get the jobs you still have to be so good at at, at what you do you know so um i think from an early early age and then you know i went to a conservatory for college uh i did the juilliard program my sophomore year of uh of high school evening division so it was like it was always this very strict it's always the craft, right? It's always like the foundation of what you do. And then you get really good. You can ignore it and play with the rules and, and bend them a bit, which, which I've done a bit. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I've always had that. Well, I want to hold on to this for a second because now I'm getting to the sub, the subtitle or colon of industrious um, is going to be the craft. So that's really, really important. I do want to acknowledge and celebrate. It has clearly served you so well. So keep doing what you do amazingly well. Um, three, you know, it harkens back to something Elizabeth Wagmeister of Variety said on the podcast, which is you, it's so important to be really good at the job that you were hired to do, because especially I, you know, younger, anybody is younger than me, but it, there tend to be tendencies like once I get hired, I'm thinking about the next job. And I know that, that, that sometimes that's a career strategy that is promoted, you know, by thought leaders and stuff, but it doesn't work in craft driven fields. And, and Elizabeth always said that her, part of her success was being really good at the job she was hired to do so that um, she built trust and then was get, you know allowed to create other outside opportunities. And, and so just because you got the job and you've done it a few times doesn't mean you're ready to move on to the next thing. You really, you're living proof of this. I love, love, love. So now I want to take a second to acknowledge something that I didn't list in your credits, um, but I'm going to put in the show notes is talk about the show you created with senior citizens in West Hollywood. 
years ago, because that is an example of how you bring your best to everything you do and so much integrity. And before I forget, I was thinking, you know, to me, it's part of the key to success for like, you know, Will Ferrell and Ben Stiller, because no matter how small or how silly, whatever, they bring so much commitment to every single character, every show, every sketch, every late night show appearance. And I feel like that's exactly what you're doing and what you were talking about. God, that's sweet. Um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, as far as Tuesdays with Matthew goes, um, that changed my life on every level um, as a human being. Um, and, uh, you know, I was volunteering, I think for, I want to say eight years, I would go to a senior center and we would recreate famous scenes from famous movies with the seniors starring as the leads. And I went every single week um, at one o'clock. It was my favorite thing to do. Uh, you know, as I got busier uh, work-wise, um, I would, you know, have to miss a couple, but I always went back, even post Love Island. I always, like, think about it. Like, I literally, it was my favorite, it is my favorite thing to do. And, um, can you explain was, what it is a little yeah, bit more? Yeah, so uh, I, I volunteer in a, in a senior center uh, with uh, seniors. My, my seniors, as I call them, S-C-E-N-E-I-O-R-S, because they put on famous scenes from famous movies. Um, and I've done that for about like eight years every single week. And then around like the eight year, eighth year, seven year ish, I got a little like bored. And I was like, what if we made our movies? Because we were just reading them. And I was like, what if I surprised them? and like surprise the seniors with a green screen and costumes and wigs and the, the Wizard of Oz movie that we've been reading for the last eight years, think about that, that's like almost 40 times a, a, a year, every single you know, class I did, um, uh, you know, we, we, we would do that. And I was like, what if I did that? That would be amazing. They'd get such a kick out of it. Like, oh, it would be so great. And then something interesting happened. So I was doing those, we were putting on the movies. It was so much fun. And then I got caught up as a triple Leo, <laughs> um, <laughs> triple Leo, aspiring host, like all this stuff. I got caught up in like how fun the movies could be. Like, oh my God, we do Terminator. We do, uh, you know, uh, Titanic. We do all of this stuff and how funny they would be and how funny I would be doing them. And then I, as we were filming them, I was editing one of the movies months after we had done it and it was Braveheart. And my one of my dear friends who I literally just spoke to two days ago, his name is Nick. He's like 94 years old. I've known him for over a decade. He was talking to my camera guy and I always have my camera guy interview the seniors after and say, did you have fun today? Because they're not going to lie to me. So like they may not lie to, you know, if they're not having fun, I want to know about it. Right. So my camera guy interviewed him like, what was it like today to, to do a movie? And he was in he was in his full Braveheart, you know, guard that I, garb that I had gotten from, you know, the, the, the party city, you know, and all of this stuff. And he looks into the camera and I've known this man for almost a decade at this point. And he's like, I forgot all of my pain today. And I had known him forever. I see him every single week. I talk to him on Christmas. I mean, these are my these are my guys. And I had no idea that he had pain. And I certainly, certainly as a human, had no idea that this, this clown show that I was doing could relieve that, or I, or I hadn't thought of it as that level. It was pure entertainment in the moment. And I was like, oh, and then after it's entertainment too, because people get to watch the films. And I watched that in the edit bay 
and by bay, I mean the apartment in which I was hiring this guy for like <laughs> $20 to please make my movies because I had no money. And um, I literally heard that and I just started crying. And I was like, wow, that's wild. And it's stuff that you know. And like, I knew if you asked me then, I would say, yeah, this is of course. But I didn't know it on that deep of a level. And it was such a seminal moment because I was like, well, if I can do this for Nick, who I've known forever, well, that's one person. What if I did it for two people or three people or four people or five people? And then I basically like got over myself a bit and realized that what I was doing, which I had always known, but just a nice refresher every while, every sense, you know, when you're on the path, the real reason I was doing it it was to bring joy to all of these people. And it wasn't about how perfect the movie could be. And if I get three likes on Facebook or 20, it was like, I was, I was just actually, I was like, oh my God, like this is so much greater than anything I could ever dream it to be. And then from that day on, uh, I then started doing senior road trips where I would take my program on the road and I would call up, I called up like all these like, you know, senior uh, facility owners who are heirs to real estate fortunes. And I said, hey, I do this thing. It's gotten a little press, read about it. I'd love to do it at yours. Whatever you pay me my fee. And at the time they were like $10,000 to go there to do the thing I would, I would charge. They would pay for the the hotel for me and my camera guy to stay over and they would pay for my editor and like the extra costumes if I needed new ones. But then the rest of that would go 100 percent to Meals on Wheels. And I'm so proud to say that uh, we've we've thousands of meals have been uh, given out as a result of of everything that Tuesdays with Matthew did. And um, yeah, it just it just changed my life and it woke me up as a person. And um, it was, it is just, just amazing. And I, and I, it's funny, we, we got, um, we were on the cover, uh, me and my seniors were on the cover of the New York Times Sunday style section, the weekend of Christmas a couple years back. And it was tough for me a bit. It was, uh, it was, you know, as, as a personality, you're in the media, you, you would kill for the front page. Like, oh my God, are you kidding me? And I felt so uncomfortable about it. And um, I, I remember reading it and calling every single one of my seniors being like, you are on the cover of the New York Times and they lost that they couldn't get over it and it was so amazing and I got back to the senior center after Christmas break because that was like Christmas weekend and um uh the the woman who runs the front desk she's like Matthew you have all of these these calls I was like what and you know a week had gone by since the times and you know you don't whatever um and there were calls from academy award-winning screenwriters to presidents of studios, literally, and some names that I could drop, which I will not, but like would blow your like would blow your mind. And I met with all of them, and they wanted to do TV shows, they wanted to do movies, they wanted to. Do, I had a Tony Award winning um, composer who uh, was relentless for a very long time, wanted to make it into a musical, um, and I, I turned them all down. Uh, and it was the easiest no of my life across the board, um, and you know. I'll tell you off, but just people that you 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 just wouldn't believe. Like I've waited my whole career for these people to even know I exist, and they wanted to do all of this stuff with with Tuesdays, and I, I turned them all down because at that point I had really really known why I do it, who I'm doing it for, and it's enough. It was mm. always enough, and it didn't ever need to be, you know 
when you give, if you're working in a soup kitchen or you buy somebody a coffee, whatever that is, it really taught me that I do not need an expectation on my giving. And it's wonderful to have the president of X studio, uh, which let's be very clear, top three. Uh, I'm not talking about like Tammy and Burbank wants to put on a show. I am talking about like, oh my God, change my life. And I just was like, once I do that, it's, it's no longer what it is. Mm -hmm. it should be then it's work and then what i'm gonna go to a uh, i'm gonna volunteer with a camera crew and makeup and hair and contracts and leave it no that's not what it's about and i had to go through that uh, a, a period where i found out what it was for and i wouldn't trade it for the world and it, it literally changed my life um as on a human level you know so whenever everyone's like oh you do this thing and i've turned down interviews with the today show i've turned down like just crazy stuff that i i just don't need that um on it if it helps people awesome and look i've done cbs interviews for cbs this morning and all that stuff and and that's lovely because it, it brings awareness but i don't need to parade what i do uh in my personal life you know as as currency um so it it taught me all about that and it taught me about just giving and you know my guys i've known them for decades my oldest is 97 my youngest i think was 76 and they came every single week to see me um and i came every single week to see them and and to spread the joy that was in that room in those four walls and it was you know everyone asked me look i've done a lot of cool professional stuff but like that is joy on an entirely it skates on a different level of um purpose uh and i would never taint that or touch that with anything entertainment related <laughs> because as we know the swamp we swim in um is is interesting uh so it it changed me as a human um and i i love it dearly and i uh yeah and i have some some cool stuff in the work on the philanthropic side uh that i that is a big goal for me that hopefully uh, in the next year or so will will tick off and the idea that you chose not to commodify it is incredible to me. Yeah. I love that story. I'm going to wind up listening to this over and over and over again. It was the again. easiest thing. I mean, look, we all get offers. But it's rare. Right? But it's really rare. And it's a lot of pressure. And um, it's your life and your career and your bank account and all those things. It's That is a very powerful choice. So I want to ask you, you know, with that then, because you do, I mean, I read your amazing uh, list of credits, which by the way, partial list of credits was so you do a bunch of things but so but so much happens for you because then you became a meme even when we you started doing love island usa so how do you transition to that because i didn't even know that you know i i work in the host space right so i was like you know host media personality matthew hoffman the next thing i know i was like oh my god you're like a like voice maven so yeah. how does how do you how does that evolve and how does your industriousness play into that Oh, big time. Um, but it, uh, I think my industrious is what got me the gig. Uh, and, um, you know, Love Island uh, is such a, um, for a host, because uh, we're speaking to the host audience, right? Like it, it ticked every box that I did not know it could tick. Um, meaning, so I was invited to audition to for Love Island because the the president of, of the production company thought that, quote, my humor 
and sensibility would be right for it. Now, at that point, I had been to ITV auditioning for years. We're talking five, six years. Uh, so much so one of the execs would line the hallway with my headshot by the time I got off the elevator to their office. Like I kept going in there. I never booked anything ever. And I was like, all right, well, these are the sharpest knives in the drawer. At least I'm in the I'm in the space and I'm so flattered to be there. And um, a mentor of mine, um, lovely, lovely mentor of mine uh, was like, your humor would be so right for this. And I was like, okay. In my head, I'm like, another audition I will not get. I go home, I get the sides like two days later, I get the sides and, you know, as a host, anybody listening, you get pretty much the same sides throughout your career and like traditional hosts. It's like coming up next, welcome back. You know, we're da 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 da. And this was so different. This was so funny and so different. And it was a narrator and nobody goes to narrating school. You know what I mean? Like it was just such a rare, unless you're David Attenberg or Morgan Freeman, like you're not getting these offers to narrate, you know, certain things. And I was like, well, this is, this is just different. And then they had you watch like four acts um, from the UK, from the UK uh, series. And then they gave you the script that you were to voice with the same words that the UK, you know, did. And I'm watching this, I was like, oh my God, this is so funny. And I had proliferally had known about the show, but I, I didn't know, know about the show. I never watched a single episode and I, I just knew it was a thing, but like was kind of just like always there. And after I watched the four acts, I then Googled the show. And I was like, this is a phenomenon. This is, this is the biggest show over there for them. And, um, it's just massive. And I was like, I will never get it. I will never get it. It's too big. It will go to every single famous person and failing the fame level of it all that I have to compete with. It will then go to every distinctive vocal quality, which at the time now, uh, at the time I did not think I had, and I had never done a voiceover in my life. So I'm stuck with this script that is amazing. I'm stuck with this franchise that is going because so many times we audition for things that don't go, you know, like they just don't go. This baby was leaving the port with or without me. And I was like, I have a shot, but I don't, but I have a shot. So I have like 24 hours to really make this work for me. So I knew I wasn't going to get it. And I was like, <laughs> I'm going to take the biggest swing of my life. And I rewrote yes. every single line that came through for the UK version that they wanted you to read. So if the line was like, you know, uh, Barbara is looking at Zoom for her podcast. Mm -hmm. I rewrote, Barbara and her bangs are looking at the <laughs> Zoom. So every time I could infuse my own lens comedically, I did it. And then I rewrote everything. I was really confident in, you know, what it was to me. Cause I was like, I'm not getting it. So at least I'm gonna like die on my own sword here. And then I panicked because I had never done a voiceover in my life. And I was like, wait a second, the line I just rewrote about Barbara and her bangs has to fit within the time code that they gave me. So I got from 117 to 121 to make my new joke in the time that they had. So I called up an audition place that does like commercials and voice stuff on Ventura Boulevard in the Valley. And I said, I will pay you money I did not have. And I will pay you to take uh, take the afternoon off. Give me from 12 to four because I need you with a stopwatch to to sit and, uh, you know, make sure that the line that I thought was so great actually makes it. Because if it doesn't make it visually with the 
with the television, there's no point. So I did, I did that. I was there for about three and a half hours doing an audition, just an audition. And I sent it in and Dropbox alerted me that they had opened it, which was kind of rare and weird. And they called me, a casting director called me who I had met previously for a Bravo show that I didn't get through ITV. And she's like, hey, not for nothing. Just want to let you know, it was a Friday. She's like, we just played your thing and we are dying. <laughs> so funny. And I was like, oh my God, amazing. Thank you so much. Done. That was October, right? October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May. <gasps> driving, minding my own business, no callback, no meeting with CBS, no nothing. I'm driving to the seniors and I had accidentally taken the wrong turn off of an exit. And I go there every single week. So for whatever reason, I was distracted and I took the wrong exit. And I wound up in like Venice. I was like, where am I? And I got a call from ITV. It was the president of ITV. He's like, where are you? And I'm like, driving. <laughs> it's like trying to get where I'm supposed to go. And he's like, okay, before I call your lawyer, uh, I wanted to let you know that you are the official voice of Love Island USA. And apparently, um, as the story is told to me, there were about 60 execs and producers or everywhere from you know ITV and CBS in the room. They had blindly, um, I believe, uh, uh, played everybody's tape. Very famous people's tapes were played. And no names, no headshots, no nothing. They just, everyone had to listen because it's such an intimate thing as the narrator. And I think I was number one just by like sheer whatever. And everyone went around and they were like, number one. And then the president of the network was like, play number one again. And that was it. Oh. And then I was in Fiji literally three weeks later with a VO producer who literally had a stopwatch <laughs> timing every single line I had written. So uh, it was a wild, wild journey. Um, and yeah, as far as, you know, uh, that job goes, I, you know, I was doing my first promos for CBS in a booth that was just beautiful. This recording studio I was like, I am so fired. They are so on to me. It is, so, it is going to be so obvious to them that I have never laid down a silky track in my life ever. And I thought I was going to be fired during the promo stage. Uh, and then I would say what thousands and thousands of voice voiceovers, uh, later. Uh, yeah, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm just plotting, and this is what you know. Years have already passed, but I'm. This is what an incredible story. But I want to unpack elements of that yeah. for people who are listening. Just to understand. Let's go back to the very beginning. So, one, you have the voice in your head, and so even though the voice in your head sounded uh, pretty loud and definitive, you kept going. Like you didn't let it stop you. Two, the um, instinctive strategy around what do I need, what do I not know how to do. The idea that you called up voice recording yep. place in the Valley, use resources you didn't have, which we translate to investing in your career. Yep. You were like, I have to, I have to make an investment if I want to get a return. And also too, I want to say it wasn't an investment in that job. Like it was obviously, but the people who were asking me to audition, it was for that. It was for the next one right it's to oh talk more about that say that one more time that is so amazing and true and right on explain it's so i knew like with every fiber in my being i would love to say i manifested it and i did <laughs> manifest all of these opportunities but i knew <laughs> that i was never getting this job like there was just no way so then it becomes like a pure almost ego thing well i want to do good because like i can 
and I will. So it's kind of like, I'm going to die on my own sword and just like leave the building, you know, going out the way I want to, because I'm not going to get this. But also the caliber of, of executives and production company that had asked me to do this, that believed in me to do this are so top shelf in every, on a human level, they're so lovely that you don't even want to, I never wanted to give a seven when I could give an 11. Right? Like, I oh, never- yeah, I, I am just like so in heaven with this whole story because this is the proof positive is you focused on what you could control. You, you had already bought into the idea that you weren't getting the job. But right. I would just realize like you have no control over the outcome because there's so many variables to the outcome. I want to say too, sorry, on the control <laughs> of it all, what I learned recently, not learned, but what was reconfirmed for me that I knew with every fiber of my being my entire life in every capacity, but was reconfirmed for me is the control. And I think that people listening who want to get into the biz or who are in the biz or, or whatever, it's interesting. Um, recently, I was confirmed two things. Those were one, the only control that I believe, like unless you're an Andy Cohen, unless you are, you know, really calling shots, right? That you can make something happen by tomorrow. You're only in, as a host and a talent, I believe that you are, and I want to star that asterisk, I believe this may not be right for everybody, but I am in control of two things, two things. One, how the excellence in which I do the work. So the work itself, I'm in control of that. And I am in control of the way I affect the room when I do it. Everything else has nothing to do with me. I was born the way I look. I, 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 you know, I, uh, a network may want to go with a woman who's younger or older, whatever. I can't control that. I cannot control that. I can just control the audition. I can control the actual job and how I make people feel when I'm in the room. Am, am I a good person? Am I nice? Did I say thank you when somebody held a door for me? Like all of that stuff that we all know as humans, but the reason I say that is because it's an amazing, amazing thing to wrap your mind around. You're off the hook for everything else. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with you other than those two things is for what I have recently been reconfirmed about. So yeah, control is interesting because that's the only thing you have beautifully perfectly said remember before we just hopped on the call i said i was so excited to talk to you oh, because it's that same energy and it's you do you just leave the room even if it's a virtual room better than you found it and that is the magic to everything because we do professionally on, on my side of the camera we do talk to each other and what you were beginning to say when i brought up this point was the fact that it, it deepens the ongoing relationship you have with these people who who offered you the audition in the first place and you want to and, and so that's one of the things that you're focused on is getting to the keeping the conversation going keeping the door open keeping the relationship going that was beautiful okay here's another thing i'm sure maybe going through people's minds and it's more common than anyone realizes the seven months it took to call you do you have an idea what was going on in those seven months that in terms of the decision-making process? I don't know if anybody ever brought it up to you. The only thing, the only thing I knew what was going on in those seven months was a lot of Ben and Jerry's for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think that um, from what I've been told, uh, you know, uh, I was going to say between us, but uh, <laughs> I don't think people are listening. Um, I, I, 
that part was so integral and is so integral to the show. It is make or break. Um, and I think once they figured that out, everything else they had to do. Um, yeah, there were no callbacks. There were no, it was, there was no like, oh, well, we're reading X and if X turns it down, that's not how it went. Um, I think it was such a big production that they had not bigger fish to fry, but once they knew, okay, we have our guy, cool. And, you know, I, the production company can vouch for me. We're, we're cool. And then I think it was, wow, building a villa in Fiji, build, doing all this, getting a host, like all of that stuff um, is the whispers I have heard, not confirmed, but that's that's kind of what I've, I've been told. No, but that's great. It's just because it's hard if you're not, if you've never worked in this to understand how that part works. And I do, I work with so many subject experts and people you know, coming from other industries and businesses who come into this or pitching shows or somebody's developing an idea around their book or their business. And then they're shocked by how long things take. And I'm like, oh, yeah, oh you have no idea. Um, and, and so I just want to validate it that it's, and there's so much happening creatively behind the scenes on a very high level. And I just thought that was a very great example of learning that. And then also the fact that you went on you, because it's all you can do. You can't sit and, and worry and fester and wonder you just keep going on with your work, whatever that is, training, building, uh, creating life. Other stuff, like you life, have to everything. build a life outside of waiting for that call. Because here's the deal. I have a selfie from that day. Like I have a selfie from the day that I got it. And I always get a little like uh, talking about it because I've been in the biz for a minute, right? So I think when everyone starts, you think I'm going to get the call in the two years, the three years, the two weeks, then this. Love Island for me, I think was a 15 year play of being a host. And when I say 15 years, I mean, from my very first creation of a reel, right? So that big call that I, I don't want to put this out there, but I, I think it's important to be realistic too. I didn't know that that call was ever coming, you know, cause it wasn't five years. We're talking <laughs> like 15 years of hard, crazy, insane work. And then it came and the coolest thing ever was that I got to FaceTime my parents in the car, pulled over on the road and thank them with just tears streaming down my face because I didn't think that that call would come for them either. Like I didn't think I would get the tangible, look, I've had lovely jobs throughout whatever, but this was a franchise. This was like, this is, it's, it's a thing, right? So, um, the fact that I got to do that was so cool, you know? So it's in those 15 years, you're, you're doing uh, way past the 10,000 hours, right? But it's, you're also just not resigning because that doesn't seem active, but you're like, look, and that's what I was saying back in the beginning. It's like, I treated every job as if it was Love Island. Every job, every, any person you ask who I've done anything for, whether it was like, two episodes on, you know, whatever, uh, to this, it was always, you know, everything was so there and done and I treated everything the same. So you, you kind of just, well, if that big job doesn't come, I'm happy with what I've done for the local news network at 8am. You know what I mean? Like it, there's no difference to me, but that was such a tangible thing that I was like, wow, I got the call that you never think you're going to get anymore. So that was really mm. cool. I just, I love your commitment to the work and the integrity you bring to everything. I also want to ask you sort of on a fun level, because now that um, 
uh, that you fell into voice and narration. Um, yeah. do, you, do you have a warm up ritual? Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have, um, you know, Love Island's uh, kind of crazy because you, there's no day offs. So there's no, and, and season two, I was on air seven nights a week. Um, so I was a singer growing up and all of that stuff. So I'm very, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, I, I do, you know, halfway through the season, you don't need warm ups because you are just ready. But like, you know, season one in Fiji, at one in the morning, I'm like, tonight, like it is so loud and it's so crazy at one in the morning. So I do vocal warmups. I, um, there is a, a, someone asked me during press, um, I think season two or season three, they're like, what do you do about your voice? Like, 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 are people just guarding it? Like, is it a whole thing? And I counted for her live, like on a zoom like this, I had like maybe six or seven different mugs of just hot water at all times. <laughs> um, and then ginger chews are a good friend of mine until season three when I dislocated my jaw trying to chew them. Uh, so that wasn't fun for like two days. But other than that, it's like ginger or like ginger cubes in hot water. Tea and tea is not my friend, but uh, yeah, so, so that's it. And then quarterly, I get a lovely, you know, 400 foot camera down my throat uh, just to make sure everything is okay. And uh, it's it's good, but um, yeah, so it's it's good. She's done me well. No, but that is really great information though, too, because now that so many of us, myself included, you know, doing podcasts and everyone's doing, people forget that one, these are muscles and things. And, um, but two, that we have to treat it with respect because we're not just talking, we're communicating and we have to take care of it. And so- if anything happens to me, vocal, like if I even hear something, I mm -hmm. am in that waiting room so quick. I'm like, put a camera down. Let's see, like, am I okay? Is everything all right? Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm hyper, 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 hyper aware of it. Do you believe work harder, work smarter or both? Both. Both, easy, because you're working smart in your work harder. Ooh, I love that. If you're not working hard, you're not working smart, you know, and I'm not saying uh, I, I think there's there's ways, you know, I think we all know work wise like, oh, that's probably not beneficial to me or that's probably not worth my time or that's probably not whatever. But I think there's power in no's, right? I think you can say no, don't don't say yes to something that you're not going to give 11 percent because that person knows this person who knows that person. And then forgetting that it's just out there. Your work is out there. You know, so um, yeah, I think I think both. I think everyone needs to listen to you, which brings me, I think one final question was, because you have created so much opportunity for yourself and your sense of being industrious has made the world a better place and done wonderful things for you. What are suggestions you have for uh, people who aspire to do what you do? Oh, um, I think it's very easy, actually. I think it's love it love it so hard because this business sucks. Like it just sucks. And it sucks when it's great. Like when it's real good, when you see in zeros, you never even thought you were gonna see, when you're getting picked up in a car that's so shiny, when you're doing this, 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 it still sucks. So you have to- How does it suck? Explain to us how it sucks. Because it's, I think- We only see the shiny, we only see the shiny. It's yeah, like, you know, when you're looking at, you know, Us Magazine and you see all those party pictures and it looks so fun. And in, until you're on the other side, you don't understand that's work. Thank you, Barbara. It is the <laughs> most work. It is, yes, yes, yes. And I say it sucks 
I what what I what I mean by that is I mean that I think that people go into show business thinking it's all show. And it's the opposite. It is 99.9% business. And if you are not a business man or woman or whatever, you are going to not love it as much. So the up at bats that that you get in this business are so rare and so fleeting like even auditions i treat i'm like oh great amazing i get to i get to do my thing because i'm stuck in emails with a lawyer or with this or with that for a very a lot of my day um so the fact that you get to to do your thing is so great but it's it's rare um it's rare uh so i say love it because if you love what you're doing and it may take you six months, six years to do it again, that will bring you through the the valleys. I have had high, high, high highs and I've had low, low lows. And the only thing that has got me through it has been my love and the hope of the next time to do it again. Um, because we deal with such interesting people uh, that you, you know, you, it, it's, it's tricky. It's re, it's a really tricky business. And I think people forget the business part. And I, I think if you can love the thing that you're trying to do through the business part, um, then you will be okay. But if you do not love it, if you, if you, if you like love it, anything less than an eight or a seven, whew, Godspeed, because it is just, it's, it's so tough. It's just so tough. So your your belief in yourself and your belief in what you want to do has to override the crazy, you know, and and not fun crazy, not like like <laughs> flipping tables on Bravo crazy, like just like like oh this is so stupid, like this is such a waste of my time, or oh that person doesn't get it, or it has to survive all of that, and all of the people who don't call you back, and all the people who do call you back, but then want you to work for free or all the people who don't call you back, but then want something from you six months down there, you know, you have to love it enough to put up with all of the tornado that surrounds it. Um, so I say love it. And if you don't love it, oh, just have a peaceful, lovely life. <laughs> I knew I needed to talk to you today. You are, oh, what a great guest. Oh, I adore you, Matthew Hoffman. Thank oh, you, thank God. you, thank you. I feel like I've talked your face off. If anyone's still listening, thank you. <laughs> I'm going to be listening over and over again. I oh, Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I want to thank you for listening to Camera Ready and Able. If you're looking for help strategizing your career and tapping into your greatness, please shoot me a note via my website, ableintermedia.com, and be sure to download my free ebook, 12 Tips for Success on Camera. And as always, please hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Thank you.